Ahoy, and welcome to the Open Journal Blogcast. Here we're going to be talking about mental health and all things related. That includes illness, wellness, stigma and support, and most importantly some of your very own personal stories. We're going to be covering projects, campaigns, education, starting conversations, and looking at some of the tools that support our well-being as well. I'm Mike, and while I'm being mindfully mindless, hopefully myself and my amazing guests will be able to show you you're not alone out there. These are real people. They do have struggles. And it starts to get on my nerves. I just shut down. So many people suffer from mental illness. To get the word out that men have got to start talking. So I told everything and her face dropped. A lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation, so Mm. they can't appreciate, yeah. It's difficult dealing with our minds, and the suicidal thoughts were back. People knew that there was something not right, but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything. You're not depressed, it's it's all in your head. That's probably the statement I've had people say the most. I mean, this, this, this shit is real and it's hard, it's exhausting. And I think people realise how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are. Not only did this help me to write it, Mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, And then they want to talk about it. Welcome to the podcast and to episode 216. I hope you're well out there. I hope things are going good for you this week. We have just had our, our double back, is it double bank holiday, the Friday and the Monday, the, the Easter weekend. Um, and I think there's another bank holiday in May as well. We, it's bank holidays all around at the moment. Um, so yeah, I hope hope you're well. hope things are good for you at the moment. Um, this week, I'm delighted to be joined by another new guest. Verity is with us this week. And we're going to be talking through some of her lived experience, a range of different um, issues um, from bereavement to um, alcohol addiction to bulimia um, to being a carer for a parent, but also looking after a, a child that's kind of struggled through some of the things related to, to COVID in the last year. And um, I think just, yeah, it feels like we just talked about life, I think, in my mind. Um and I think we do, we mentioned this a couple of times, just the, again, the importance of, of, of having conversations, I, I guess, around mental health, but just generally about our life and about some of the more serious topics that um, we're affected by throughout our life. And that might be a recent thing. Uh, a lot of people have been affected quite seriously through through the last year with COVID, with social restrictions, job losses and, and a range of other things. But also looking back at, at at some of our pasts and sort of saying, oh, there are things that maybe we we don't kind of speak openly about or we are still affected by that we, we want to talk through. So a massive thank you for, for Verity for coming on to share um, some of her lived experience, some of the things that she's experienced through, through her lifetime, um, both in the past and more recently. Um, and I think just, yeah, a really... A really positive conversation to to sit down and have and again a, a great opportunity to encourage you to um go away and, and and have your own conversations with family members friends colleagues acquaintances um and find those people that you feel comfortable to to have conversations like this with 
uh, I think is 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 so important, particularly with some of the topics that we talk about today. Um, I think bulimia was a big one for me of how um, I kind of see this as, as uh, in my mind, it's still quite a, a potentially secretive illness. Um, and I think encouraging people to be able to seek support, um, encouraging and educating people to be able to listen as well, I think is so important. So yeah, a, a really, really valuable conversation and a good prompt, I think, for, for many of us. So massive thank you once again to Verity for coming on and sharing her insights and her experience. Thank you to you guys for downloading and listening to the podcast. And as always, if you're interested in coming on yourself in the future, you can find information about being a guest over at openjournalbc.com. Thank you so much for downloading and I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Here's this week's episode. It's lovely to sit down and be talking to you, Verity. Uh, I I think it's been just ridiculous weather at the moment. We, we've kind of mentioned that already, but how has the how's the last couple of days or how's the last week been for you? Yeah, it's been it's been really interesting actually. I think um, part of the journey of um, we're after the storm. I'm just meeting so many amazing people and um, just people so willing and. Um, able to share their time and their knowledge and and their support as well which is is fantastic so uh, yeah I'm, I'm enjoying myself at the moment meeting lots of new people oh awesome we've come on uh, like a good week of starting to see kind of our, our social restrictions and stuff around covid starting to change and um I feel it's been so long now I feel very cautiously optimistic of of what's coming but it's nice to see kind of you're seeing some of the you know, the positive sides and interactions yeah. starting to happen more yeah absolutely I was laughing today because I've literally gone right I need the hairdressers this has to it's got long enough hasn't it it's like we've been here long enough and now I just want the world to open up again <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah I just I can't I'm still in that mindset of like Oh, it just feels weird to think about like the end. Like changes are cool, and uh, it's nice to be able to you know, meet people outside and do whatever. But the idea that in a, I say a couple of months, I guess it's a few, a couple, um, that things could be very different and actually could be opened up a lot more, just feels like ridiculously strange to me now. It's been quite a a, a long period, hasn't it, of a, a lot of things going on for people. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be really odd. I do. I think being around people, you know, is is weird. I mean, you still go out on a Saturday afternoon and and the streets are are empty and that's going to change, isn't it, really soon. And I I think it will be a big adjustment for, for a lot of us from, you know, from positive in some respects, but it's going to have an impact in others and take take time to get back to the new kind of normal, whatever that ends up being. Yeah, it's just so weird. like I'm still in that mindset of it's like, oh, it's the weekend. What do you want to do? Wow, watch TV, play a board game, or go for a walk. Like literally, the only three things I'm rotating. And maybe some weekends I'll splash out and do all three of them. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm I'm quite excited because because you can do outdoor sports now, and um, I'm a boxing coach, and tonight is our first oh, um, session back. So after this, I'm shooting out to um, an outdoor field. We have, we've got the local rugby club of Lentness there, sort of pitch, and actually getting back to some training, which is oh, mental because so it's going to be so good to see people. That's going to be amazing. <laughs> Oh, that's okay. That's a good positive mood. 
for 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 us to start on. Oh, I like that. I like I like a nice a nice intro is good. So it's, um yeah, obviously interesting to hear. There's quite a few different things you're doing. You've kind of mentioned there the conversations and some of the other work that you're involved with. But um, we're obviously sitting down to talk about a little bit about kind of your lived experience and some of the things that have happened over the last year or so. Um, so it'd be really interesting just to hear a bit more about you and kind of what's led to us sitting down to talk today. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, yeah, it's been an interesting year for me, but I guess it's probably better to start way back when <laughs> that's kind of led me to this. So, um, I mean, from from my childhood, I've had had a lovely childhood, very loved and um, all that kind of stuff. But actually, some of my experiences were pretty coloured um, by my parents' relationship with alcohol. And I wouldn't say that they were alcoholics, but they were heavy drinkers. And that meant that you were often... You didn't know what you were walking into as a child. And I think it led me to be somebody that was always seeking that outward um, sort of validation from other people and and being a bit afraid of authority and that kind of thing. So it definitely had a knock on effect. Um, and to to my sister as well, which I will talk about because she's part of, of this journey mm-hmm. um, and uh, and led to all sorts of complications for me, which is interesting. I've never really thought of myself as suffering from um, mental health issues until I have started this journey over the past year and talked about things. Um, But I actually had an eating disorder when I was younger, um, which I kept completely to myself um, for a number of years. Um, And, you know, way back, the Internet wasn't really around so much when I was was young. I think it came on the scene as I went to university. So, you know, Mm. information wasn't readily available. And um, you'd got you got your your girly mags that you would look at to try and find out, you know, where you got help from. And um, I um, so I kept that under wraps and I never spoke to my parents about it and they never really noticed it um until I went to university and I actually started to eat normally and put on a bit of weight and um scared me something chronic um and but my I met my husband at uni and he noticed that something wasn't right with me and the way that I was with food and the way that I ate and and really helped me a lot with that so um, I suffered with bulimia and he kind of helped me and coached me to a place where I was no longer being sick but I was still binge eating and then I put on a huge amount of weight Mm. so I'd always been really slim um but with that I just got bigger and bigger and I think (laughs) I went for my first wedding dress fitting um and I was I put on four stone between my first wedding dress fitting and our wedding um which is quite significant in that time and then remember them having to sew a panel into my wedding dress because it was so much I needed such a bigger dress than my original fitting and mm. um, so so I think all of that was led from my upbringing and and um, you know the, the kind of knock-on implications of that um, but I decided when I had my own children so I've got three three daughters myself that I didn't want to be the the fat mum sat on on the sidelines and that that's yeah. a terrible thing to say really and label myself like that but 
I wanted to be active in their lives and I wanted to to be involved. And um, so I went to a local swimming club after when my my smallest daughter was six weeks old yeah. and, um, and set on that journey to sort myself out and, and get control over my emotions so that I wasn't triggered to eat unhealthily and behave in, you know, um, a way that was detrimental to my health and I wanted to make sure that the girls also had a healthy environment to grow up in mm. you know I think it's so hard for kids this day and age to kind of navigate all the unrealistic images they see on the internet and Instagram um, that I wanted to make sure that I wasn't adding to that I'm sure I haven't got it right in every case I'm sure. <laughs> but um and then I got really into exercise as well which has helped me a lot in that mm. area and I would say that I'm I have that aspect of my life completely um under control but um yeah then my sister um also had terrible issues with her her weight and uh, her um, she ended up having a gastric bypass because okay. What I find quite interesting is that two people brought up in the same environment and I very much have that I will find a way through and she has a very different mindset to me. So mm. she, she couldn't find her way through personally um, and that kind of um, surgery route for her was, was the way forward to do that. But in doing that, she replaced her food addiction with spending and um, an alcohol dependency um which has built and built and built over her adult life and led to a number of issues that that we as a family have supported her through um so yeah it's been an interesting journey it is it really strikes me kind of when you talk about that um two people in the same household and kind of different different pathways maybe sort of with a similar view but taking very different routes and um yeah I think it's so often the case isn't it we sort of make the assumption that um like oh there's an ideal situation or there's an, like even in an ideal situation like you could receive that and interpret that and learn from that very differently yeah. like one thing does not mean the same thing to to two different people but yeah thank you so much for kind of sharing that insight I think there's lots of different things there isn't there to 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 process and to think about you kind of started off at the um with that idea of kind of looking through magazines and kind of having I guess like certain maybe body shapes or images in mind and it kind of struck my mind that last week um I was speaking to a chap called Tommy and we were talking about kind of the the male identity and he he is a an actor and a model and was talking very much about kind of the pressure he felt to to have a certain type of body yeah um and we spoke about the idea that uh we kind of have this level of knowledge that these images aren't kind of real that they've been they've been changed and modified and yet we still kind of aspire to them or feel an expectation to look like them even though we know they're not real yeah and I just think kind of imagine like you say before before the internet we're looking a little bit further back and actually maybe there wasn't I don't know would you have had that knowledge that those images weren't real at that time because um, I feel like in my mind I wouldn't of no, probably not. And we're talking, so in my youth, I was that kind of age where Kate Moss and the waif had come on mm. the scene, which just isn't my body shape and, and not really anybody's body shape, I don't think. And so that that was really unrealistic. And you 
you know, but it was a trend as well to be mm. that slim. So you're like, why can't I be that slim? I don't understand. You know, I'm I'm five foot nine. I'm quite a big build person. Mm. Um, and, it, you know, but then I was like, but Kate Moss is five foot eight. So I should still be able to do that. So, no, I don't think we really understood that photoshopping existed and that mm. some of these images weren't weren't real. It was just that constant sort of, you know, um bombardment of images yeah, yeah I, I just it really kind of struck me I thought it's something I think um we all still kind of think that way like we've kind of I guess increased our awareness but maybe not our education yeah. and I feel like that's a common thing I feel like that is a common thing that I'll say about a lot of things is it's we're aware of things but not really educated on them yeah. um but yeah I think um you kind of you mentioned your your upbringing there and kind of the impact that childhood can have on how we form our own identity I guess and that can take quite a long time to I guess work through or get to a stage where you feel like you can actually evaluate yourself and think about where do you want to be rather than where you feel you should be I I guess. It's it's interesting you say that I would literally say that it's only since my parents have actually passed away that I've really stepped into myself and found that um that freedom of expression mm-hmm. um and that's no no sort of malign to them they were they were amazing parents but there was always that I always had that expectation that I needed to prove myself to them mm-hmm. or they get their approval for things that I was doing and, and the way that I was taking my life um even as a, as a mother and you know even through my adult life you know as always and they never really understood. I don't think they understood what I did for a profession. Uh, it was, you know, they never really got it. And they were very proud. But I was always like, you know, if I wanted to buy a new car, I'd, what do you think? Should, should I do it? And, you know, getting their approval to buy a new car. And it's like, very to you, you know, you're a grown woman. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that very much stemmed from my upbringing and that kind of probably turbulent sort of environment that I grew up in never physically or Mm. anything you know it was always very loving but but still that uncertainty of what you were facing every day so you you just look for approval yeah Yeah. it's clarification isn't it I think Mm -hmm. you're sort of looking for sometimes as well and it is interesting to see different journeys I I think I was seven or eight and my parents divorced and it was it was not particularly fun time Mm. and I think looking back they're very very core values that I unknowingly at the time really put in place that probably still exist within me now but definitely were very much core of that um kind of being a a young adult they were so much part of of what I was doing um it it is yeah it is interesting to kind of see that that journey and and that impact that they can have yeah um I was I was painfully shy because I was a younger younger child and painfully shy and I remember you know I never went to dance classes or, or did anything like that because I, mem- I, I vividly remember mum putting me into brownies and me screaming the place down because I was so uncomfortable and couldn't stand it so she whipped me out and then I got told off for being embarrassing and you know what what a, what a scene I'd created and all that kind of stuff so I never did anything again I never went anywhere now now I'm probably one of the most outgoing you know I'll walk into a room and just you, you have to accept me and I, I will be there and if you don't talk to me then that's fine but I'm going to be there I'm going to do what I, I want to do and I'm a bit probably a bit of a show-off now 
but you would never and people don't believe me when they when I say I was shy as a child but but yeah painful but that was you know mum I don't think she she didn't do it out of knowing and we all do things that we don't do know the impact but that you know when I think about it I could have done so many things as a kid that I didn't do because of that kind of fear that I would embarrass her yeah it's that one thing isn't it especially as a child I think when you try things that one bad experience I mean I remember not playing tennis for like 10 years because I think my mum took me as a I think I must have been would I have been like junior school or maybe early senior school to like a summer camp and you'd like uh like once a week you try a different sport or something and we went into this um like uh tennis venue and the session before us was just finishing and uh, I don't know what they were doing like doubles or just knocking it over the net and one boy got hit right on the nose with a tennis racket so he came off with his nose was like misshaped and bleeding and I was like I don't really think tennis is a sport for me <laughs> and I mean it's got like no reflection on hardly anyone's experience and that put me off it for yeah at least 10 years and I was just like nah tennis is too rough <laughs> love that it's just yeah they you set set things in motion that you're just not necessarily aware of and yeah yeah and can you mention that side of uh kind of the the uh bulimia and kind of the eating behaviors as well and I think um it's also something that kind of strikes me that particularly when we're younger again some of those behaviors that we maybe wouldn't necessarily think of as being um bad or negative or having kind of uh impacts on us like it it achieves what we want it to sometimes and I think um particularly with eating disorders I think they're still something that it it can be very secretive um and just because of that or because of a few things it's not always as widely discussed um and I just wonder kind of we're talking a little bit historically here about your experience so whether you feel like has that changed over a period of time like is it more widely spoken about do we know or are more educated um because I'm making the assumption that we haven't really made as much of a, a jump as we could or should have with that I I don't think we've necessarily made as much of, of a jump actually and I think it's also slightly dangerous um which is that that there's so much information now on the internet that as a child I could type bulimia in and find out what it was and how to do it and patterns of behavior Mm. which I wouldn't have found at my age you know and and I'm pretty committed I'm quite good at doing things when I put my mind to it so if I found that and I was erring on that side I know for me as person could easily become very very good at doing that and you know and making myself very poorly I think Mm. I was probably quite lucky that that information wasn't readily available to me as a kid so just kind of bumbled through it and then was like this isn't fun and I'm not feeling very well and I need to stop it Um, and I know it's not sorry I make that sound really easy and I know it isn't and I know for a lot of people it's a much deeper seated situation Mm. um but I do think that (sighs) mental health's got a fantastic platform at the moment but what we're not very good at doing is actually breaking that down into all the things that impact our mental health or that build up to being a mental health issue so like Mm. I said to you at the start Mm. I didn't really ever class myself as having mental health issues but actually 
<laughs> yeah. Right. And yeah. and I think that is where we really need to start looking at all the interlinked and underlying factors that contribute to to mental yeah. well-being, actually. I think that's the thing for me. So often when we talk about, um, well, there's two parts. We talk about mental health with the assumption it's about illness without talking about the word. Actually, we could be talking about mental health and you kind of mentioned the boxing earlier and actually that's part of it. So, so that can be mentioned. But yeah, even when we're looking at illness, I think we look very much at kind of crisis of that rather than what are some of the symptoms? What are some of the things that people are struggling with? Yeah um rather than that doesn't sound too bad just carry on until you get cri- uh, yeah. get to crisis and then come and talk to someone then um and I think yeah to add a third spoke to that is that often and I mean I, I still to some extent really struggle with depression mm-hmm. so I, I'm grateful for the attention that that illness receives but I think depression and anxiety in particular really are kind of there's an element of overexposure where that is all that people focus in on so I say mental health and they are thinking oh depression and anxiety and like you said actually there's a range of other um, diagnosable illnesses but also symptoms that are completely unrelated to those two illnesses yeah that we're not really again there's elements I guess of awareness raised like oh I'm aware there are eating disorders and some people struggle with that but are we really educated on maybe what to look out for what to say if someone says to us that they're struggling with that where would we signpost to and yeah. I think those are the things that it sort of feels like we haven't really moved that much further forward like I know about it and I, I can have a conversation with you but I couldn't tell you where to go no. and it's it's I think that's the balance I guess of feeling like where is the support for someone if they were to struggle with that now exactly and also I think there's still this whole stigma isn't there around you know say for as a parent you know my child's got an eating disorder well that must be something I did as a parent so I'm I'm wrong therefore I'm going to bury my head in the sand and pretend Mm. it's not happening you know some people will still think like that's probably an old-fashioned view now but you know I think that really needs to be addressed you know raising that awareness and, and pulling all that information together and to be easy easily accessible for people um but also you know things like like us talking now sharing these stories and 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 raising that awareness and letting people understand there are so many more layers to you know mental health or or mental illnesses or um you know the contributing factors so that that people know to look and are happy to share their stories rather than being embarrassed by it I think we need to start embracing our vulnerabilities, don't we? Because actually, that's how we build strength and and resilience. Yeah, I think I'm hopeful. We met, uh, we mentioned this at the beginning, like the idea of that mental health. I think is is getting a lot of attention this year because of everything around COVID. It was, it felt very much at the forefront with some of the early messages, um, and it's just trying to utilise that initial bit of public interest in the same way. I think. Um, kind of awareness raising days and weeks really still have their place to prompt this to the front of the agenda um, and look at those different topics and um, to jump across you, you sort of saying about kind of the impact we have with our conversations with different people and um, how we receive information from parents or, or how we distribute that to 
to children or our loved ones I think there's always that expectation isn't there that we we will always get it right or, or we will always know the answer mm. and I think that's oh, I, don't, I don't know if that's a little bit of a British thing but I think um it's definitely a public thing of like if I don't know I have to sound like I know yeah and because I don't I can't do that I'm just not going to talk about this at all yeah absolutely I I totally agree (laughs) with you so it's like I either pretend that I'm a uh, authority speak with confidence and people will follow or I just keep my mouth shut and hope that nobody actually asks me and I'll just pretend that it's not happening. We we do do it. It's definitely a British thing. Stiff upper lip and all that. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah it's just, uh, it, it is a really difficult one. I think um, that position of care, I guess, isn't it? When you're um, kind of in that position of responsibility and not necessarily knowing or being able to be kind to yourself and just say, like, I'm going to do the best I can. And, yeah. you know, there's going to be limitations to that um and yeah maybe in five years or in 10 years time I'll know more than I do now and I'll think oh why didn't I say that but I don't know that now Mm. and so I think there is that it's difficult isn't it I think it's that aspect of being kind to yourself and just offering as much as you can absolutely and I think you know as a a parent these children they don't come with manuals you know and and it's really tough and because they're they're complex little people you know they've they've got these these thoughts and feelings and and they're so different I mean like I said I've got three daughters and each one of them is so different and has been impacted you know by the loss of my parents in such a different way we kind of go well surely it's a one-size-fits-all they've all lost their nanny and they're all going to feel like this well they don't and it's you know, knowing actually that you as as a parent and navigating your own challenges in life as well will yeah, need to ask for help. You can't be that expert. Like you say, you can't be an expert in everything. Mm. You can only, you know, hopefully provide love and and understanding and then get get somebody in to help with the hard stuff because, you know, otherwise what are they there for? That's what these people exist for. <laughs> <laughs> they're the experts that's the side though isn't it of knowing like I can do that first little I can start the conversation I can ask how you are I can hear that information um and starting to treat in my mind it's starting to treat some of those things more in the same way that we would like a physical struggle of like I can ask you does your ankle hurt does it hurt if you do this or this um like I can ask those questions and I can have an idea of like this sounds less serious or more serious or like you need an ambulance or you should probably go to the doctor tomorrow. Yes. Like I can gauge that. And I think yeah. it, it's trying to start to, I guess, again, educate people to the level where they can start to make an informed decision based on what they hear. Like, yeah. um, obviously, if you're struggling with something and don't tell me the same way as if you say my ankle doesn't hurt when it does, <laughs> like I can only go by what I'm told. Yeah. Um, I think it's educating people to that level to be able to hear that information and go, oh, okay, that, this person needs a listening ear or actually I think it's really important to signpost them or yes they, actually this is crisis right now yeah. there's I so much avoidance of just that whole conversation I think because yeah. we're worried about what do I say yeah I absolutely agree and I think you you, you worry actually whether you're going to put ideas into people's heads that they've not even thought mm. about you know <laughs> there's yeah. that element as well as, as a parent and um and not just as a parent like you say as as anybody in a a position of you know in a a relationship with somebody in any shape or form it's that you know knowing 
knowing our limits actually but and and to know your limits you have to have a a level of knowledge don't you mm. to be able to to say right this is beyond me now um but I have listened and I have have started the conversation and that that's really key for me with my girls you know you you know you know when things are a bit off um but sometimes you get shut down they're, they're teenagers now so well what the eldest one is and and she's been she's had a really challenging year through this through the whole lockdown piece because you know her life was just about to start you know mm. when you think about she's four, 14 she was 14 at the start of lockdown she's turned 15 within it um, we just started to let her get the bus into town and, you know, that kind of thing. And she was getting excited about getting a job when she hit 15 in a little, you know, local cafe and stuff. And and that's all been stopped and mm-hmm. taken away. That social interaction with her friends has been stopped and taken away. And you, you sort of they, they're in the rooms all the time because they're on the computers or they're on their phones or they're, you know, actually my eldest is she's an artist and she wants to be a um, screenwriter. So she writes and she draws and, you know, some of the stuff she does, I'm like, how? whoa, <laughs> you really mine? How did this happen? You know, she's, she's incredible. But, um, you know, you don't see them all the time and it's recognizing whether they're okay we managed we were really lucky we managed to get away to crete in the summer we just uh, timed it right and did a last minute and i noticed while we were there her eating was really controlled mm. really controlled you know she it was an all we all you could eat stuff so we we're all there piling god knows what onto our plates and having a whale of a time and she was you know she was having a yogurt and fruit for breakfast and then she was having something for lunch and then and making sure you know she wasn't going back up all the time and I was like it just rang some bells with me and so um I spoke to a friend of mine that happens to be a counsellor and um and then I spoke to my daughter and I said look I I don't want to you know I, I just feel that there's something not quite right this you know, so I've clearly got something wrong like my mum did, you know, but, but, you know, recognise that. Don't be afraid to say that. And and we got her some um, counselling when we got back from Crete, actually. And it was more anxiety with her. So she, and, and, and it manifested when she was eating and her throat would feel tight, but it wasn't actually related to the food. It just happened to be around that time. Yeah. But if I'd not, if I'd not noticed or not seen something was wrong and if I'd been you know too scared to acknowledge it I don't know where that would have gone for her yeah like you say that that having that confidence to ask and to start the question means you know you're you're more informed she knows there's support there and you can hopefully prevent that kind of escalating but also as you picked up on actually it wasn't really what you thought it was it was something else which just we wouldn't discover that unless you're able to host that conversation um so I think yeah it's it's just so important to be able to have those opportunities isn't it and sometimes I think particularly with when we're looking at kind of intergenerational conversations it does take effort you do have to really make time for those conversations and um uh really host them in the way that we sort of talk about like oh if you're supporting someone you need to think about where you are and who you're with and all and actually when it's with a with another generation you really need to think about that because their preferences could be quite different to what we think oh okay yeah i'd like to be in this setting or that setting yeah 
um out and working working that out i think is is often quite a difficult one yeah but yeah over this last year i guess so much has changed for for you as kind of a family unit as well as to like you say what what our expectations are of, of life and of each other and sometimes just not being able to do that probably challenges again kind of our identity I guess in, yeah. in some ways as to what we're doing yeah I think I mean I've I'll be quite honest I've loved it you know we've been given the gift of an extra year with our kids in quite close proximity that we wouldn't have had had the pandemic not not happened and you know I know I know as soon as the bus routes are open again that's it I'm not, <laughs> it's going to be very quiet in this house but you know we've we've done everything we can and I think at the start of lockdown it was a novelty so we were all doing family TikToks and um, <laughs> me and the girls all dance so you know my our dance teacher was doing Zoom classes and live at fives on Facebook and things like that and it was great fun and we were roping my husband in and you know he was just <laughs> God, we even had him dressed up as Posh Spice one Saturday <laughs> I mean you know so we really really embraced it but then as you kind of as as the world started to open up again and then got shut down and and it has that you know as humans we can only accept so much change it, it changes hard mm. you know and regardless of how flexible and, and adaptable we are it does impact and it impacts in different ways and you know I've seen it with the girls because they're all at different ages so 15 11 and 9 just a very very different range of emotions through through all of them so my youngest has struggled so much with it because she doesn't really have a phone and they don't you know they don't have whatsapp and they're not constantly so she has literally been at home with her sisters no contact with kids of her own age really um and found that really hard and she it's quite sad actually the other night she broke she broke down on me she, I was like what's the matter Lex and she said well since since nanny's died nothing's been the same everything's been really hard and I thought about it and so my mum passed away in the July before this all kicked off um and we had obviously the grief of of that and that affected her quite badly and so um and ended up having to get a grief counsellor to which I didn't know was a thing at this point so this is I've come on leaps and bounds I'm a bit like that I didn't even know it was a thing that children had there were grief counsellors for children um but um from that to then us going into lockdown and all the changes and then you know going back to school and and she was so excited about going back to school but it's not quite what she was expecting it to be and and you know that's a heck of a lot of change for anybody but especially these little ones you know they're nine years old how do you navigate that at nine so 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 difficult it's the expectations as well like you say it's just so so different to uh, anything really isn't it it's it's as um I guess as parents having not really experienced something similar like how do you kind of comprehend it's so hard to talk talk through that so that is a real challenge um kind of you mentioned the kind of the bereavement side there and kind of the care that that's needed around that and I know that's kind of led to a few other things that you're you're doing now as well so I don't know if you're you're happy to kind of tell us a little bit more about kind of that process that's happened yeah I, I can do so I um 
it's funny actually we got the headstone back um it was about a week ago now and I um for my so both my parents have passed away in the last sort of four years and we just got mum's inscription added to my dad's headstone and um seeing it I got an email so they did the undertaker emails you and, and sends you oh, we've now finished the inscription and I opened oh. it and it just absolutely I mean this is nearly two years on since mum passed away floored me sobbing yeah. absolutely gut-wrenching <laughs> yeah so it's still you know grief is is a very very tough thing and we don't talk about it right so I could say that to somebody who's been through grief and they would still find it really difficult to know what to say to me. Mm. And I think it's the same in, in so many aspects. But yeah, so I mean, dad, dad had uh, his death was quite unexpected. It was um, he had an accident. He fell over in the yard, putting the rubbish out one night and um, ended up breaking his arm, getting sepsis and went into um, organ failure, probably from years of, of you know self-neglect it mm. just was a spiral and over a week I went from having my dad to to not having my dad which was you know it was really traumatic and and a really tough thing to cope with and um I think you kind of lose both your parents when you lose your first parent because that your other parents grief is is so consuming and grief is such a kind of individual experience as well um and then sort of two years later mum started to um complain about um feeling poorly and after various tests and things she got diagnosed with pancreatic cancer so that was a very different mm. experience and um we had her for 11 months after the diagnosis um and it was a very hard um 11 months to go through at which point my sister's um addiction was getting worse and worse so it kind of all fell on my shoulders and initially um, you've probably gathered from this I'm one of these people that gets on with things I just time time to you know take a lot of stuff in my stride when we found out mum was ill I I just crumbled I genuinely did not want to get out of bed didn't know what to do with myself couldn't go to work and I went round to her one day and she just I remember just she said Vev what's the matter and I just went ah and, and she said, right, well, we need, we need to get you some help. And through the hospice, they had um, a psychologist and I had an hour with the psychologist. And she just sort of talked me through everything, helped me compartmentalise things. And and then I was fine. And I actually, you know, I was that kind of key pillar through mum's um, journey and um, and how, sort of helping my sister as well and <laughs> I was always joked to my mum and dad that I would always put them in a home before I cared for them right <laughs> so it's really heartless but you know it was a joke I was like no I'll be quite upfront. there is no way that I am doing that um, but actually I did I did care for mum you know I helped her to bed I helped wash her I helped all the things when she was too poorly to do that for herself and I actually feel privileged to have been able to do that for her um but so yeah so so she passed away in July um 2019 and um it was almost and anybody that's lost somebody through cancer initially it's a it's a relief because that pain and suffering seeing that person go through that is is over um I thought, right, that's lovely. We've had a bit of a rough year. Let's create some happy spaces. Took everybody off on holiday, had a lovely summer. 
came back from summer and my daughters went back to school and then everything kind of fell apart so um my eldest slapped her best friend around the face <laughs> which was like oh my god oh. what <laughs> um, got had to have a morning um excluded from school because you know it's not acceptable um but also just so out of character so out of character for her to do something like that um and my little one who quite quite an emotional character anyway she was really struggling at school losing her temper um emotional outbursts all the time and it, it was that that led me to find out that there was such a thing as a grief counsellor for children <laughs> and um and so kind of sorted the girls out um and I found that if they were okay I was okay but at the same time the moment that I had a wobble with grief mm. they had the same so it was really difficult to navigate that that period of time and I still I still don't think I've probably properly grieved for for my mum um because obviously coping with that and then um and my sister mm. my sister so my with my sister's addiction she had a lot of financial issues as well which she had hidden from us all for many years and as mum passed away um she was asked to leave her rental property and I went to go guarantor for her on another property to find out she had county court judgments and couldn't get a rental property so she ended up moving into my parents um which was in you know lucky in part that it was available for her um but to see your parents home then trashed basically by somebody else so I couldn't it, it it was a really difficult time um, and she eventually sort of unfortunately hit rock bottom and got herself help. Um, she was sent home from work. Um, they've been they were really supportive of her, actually. But but she was sent home um, and we went and got her support and she got into um, detox. And um, but all that, again, kind of driving her through that all I kept thinking was I've lost my mum and dad I can't lose my sister as well I mean we're not actually particularly close as 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 siblings but Mm -hmm. that just the thought of that was horrendous um so she came out of detox two days before we went into lockdown oh wow so bless her heart she's been on a heck of a journey I don't think I think she's had one blip through that journey I hope and I, I genuinely obviously don't don't know that much because we've not been able to see her and, and stuff but we've kept in touch and she's she's still it's I think it I think recovering from something like that is is a journey it's not mm. something that you just click your fingers overnight and everything's fine um but again there were times through that where I really struggled to know you know it's draining and it's it's um, it's really hard and I didn't know there was support for families really out mm-hmm. there you know there's lots of support for the person the that's per- in the crisis but again you know for you as, as as a person where do you go so all these things have led me to where I am currently and what I'm doing currently to try and support people which is we are after the storm um, and uh, it's just kind of trying to create a place and a, a source of resources for people to go and find and educate themselves like you say mm. to be able to know what to do next really uh, yeah it, it's so difficult isn't it because i guess rightly there's a lot of importance put on that person in 
in crisis or struggling but it sort of seems there is just kind of I don't want to say no that sounds quite bad there is just seems so such a minimal knowledge or sharing of information around if you're supporting or if you're listening if you're caring for someone yeah there is also a lot of support available for you as well and I think it it is one of the things that pops into my head when you hear people talk about oh there's a lack of services sometimes there are and there's definitely limited access to some of those but very often it's that there is a service or there is a resource and it's just that no one knows about it this is it and and because of you know the things we're talking about so you know financial difficulties or addiction or those kind of things because there's either a stigma or there's the the you know the stiff upper lip don't talk about it thing going on you don't you don't know they're there and they are there they're all there um you don't necessarily even know it's a thing you know until it happens to you I mean I sound like I live in a soap opera but I'm actually quite a normal person and you know never needed any of these services until they happened Mm. you know to me so I think it's really, really important that we raise, like you say, that awareness and understanding and that we stop trying to hide these things because it only causes more heartache for people in the long run. It does. It feels it feels like we're going to echo something we've said probably 20 minutes ago of that. It's it's like, oh, if you're struggling kind of supporting someone, it's like, oh, just kind of get on with it. Deal. That's what happens when you support someone. And it's like, well, actually, there is there's support of that you don't need again you're being kind of forced into crisis before you seek support and actually just saying do you know what actually uh it's great that I can let you say care for a parent or listen to my friend or support someone and hear their story that might be really difficult to hear and in all likelihood probably is really difficult to hear maybe just having a support network or knowing that there's um like a, a group that you can go along to all of those sort of things, I think, are just not promoted at all in the way that they could be. Mm. Um, so, yeah, when you're talking about the idea of that, that signposting, kind of sharing resources, I think is something that's really, really positive and really important for people that are, um, I guess we wouldn't say they're in need, but they are. Yeah, it's it's no, it's, you know, they don't necessarily know what it is they, they need you know and and where that leads them but yeah it's it's just it's just I think as well there's so much information out on the internet how do you know it's credible how do you know you know it's not just somebody that decided one day to wake up and call themselves I don't know a counsellor or a a coach or this or that how how Mm. do you know that you've got somebody that sort of aligned with your values as well I think it's really important to be able to explore in a in a safe space you know what's right for you without people trying to tell you what's Mm, right for you mm. I think so so I guess from the kind of the the resources that you're putting together is there um like a particular hope or an aspiration that you've got around kind of what happens with those um gosh there's I just for me it's to be like uh, an exhaustive resource for people to find support and help and feel safe and supported within that um you know I just feel there's so many areas so you know there's so many charities there's so many things doing some really good stuff um and but yep we still don't know about it Mm. so I desperately just I just want to shout (laughs) 
<laughs> shout about it you know shout shout about the fact that all these resources are here and like I say I'm not an expert in this I, I've just this is my life you know experiences that have made me want to bring all the stuff that people are doing out there and get it to the forefront so that you know people don't have to suffer and scrape around like I have done through my journey and I'm sure you know other people have done as well so yes and I think I think is yeah it's just encouraging people to come forward isn't it and, and access resources and if it starts off as uh, you're accessing them for a friend and you're looking for a friend um, then that can be a, a good kind of starting point as well I think yeah um, yeah thank you so much for kind of sharing um, so much of your story and kind of your experience um, I think we, we've kind of touched on a few different things but we could spend ages going into each of those um, I guess as we um, start to get to a stage where kind of our lockdown our Covid situation is is changing are there um, particular hopes or things that you're looking out for kind of in the coming months or the coming year in in this sort of space? Um. I'm looking forward to being able to do um, some more events and kind of getting people together. So we we say that we're about connection. So after the storm's about connection, and and then it is. And I know that we've all changed the way that we work really, and we've all got so good at doing video calls and all that kind of stuff. But I think there's nothing more real than actual human connection and getting people together and and helping you know break down those barriers. Um, to to talking about some of these subjects so I'm looking forward to that idea um I'm looking forward just to being back out in life and whatever comes from that but I also think you know we've got a long road ahead of us because mm -hmm. the knock-on impacts of the pandemic are going to be big but all these things that, that we're doing through after the storm existed before the pandemic they're just now going to impact even more people than they wouldn't would have before so um i think i'm interested to make sure that it is uh, what we provide is relevant and helpful through all the different kind of aspects that people are going to experience over the next few years as we come back to whatever new normal is <laughs> yeah i think that's the thing isn't it i've had a couple of conversations this week and people have sort of said oh like now's the time when you know, people are starting to do whatever. Yeah, to some extent, although the people that are doing it now, oh, I'm making a judgment, they're <laughs> not really the people I'm worried about because if they're happy to go out and interact, okay, at the moment, those people are fine. It's the people that are apprehensive or don't feel able to interact with anyone. It's the people that in September or August or October are still not interacting with people and are still kind of staying at home those are the that in my mind that's where my attention is focused yeah. um like you say everyone's going to be affected but it's very much i think looking at yeah. maybe sort of late summer autumn yeah. definitely winter yeah. um as kind of that's where some of those people they're going to be maybe where you are now yeah. then um yeah, so absolutely. keeping that eye out and I think when we're talking about resources and support so important to keep in mind if if things go well and and you know on the end of June um kind of restrictions are lifted so important to keep people keep in mind that this is going to affect people at least for the next year oh god at least yeah um 
and I think I mean, if you just yeah look at the financial kind of knock-on to this you know people who've been going okay I'm on fur- furlough I'm all right I'm all right I'm all right and now furlough stops your job's not there anymore mm. you can't find another job that that impact is oh yeah just, yeah and yeah. you're right it's like there will be people and I think I touched on it earlier I've loved having this time with my family that's going to change and that will hit a lot of people quite mm-hmm. hard you know all of a sudden their kids are now gone again you know I, I'm hoping <laughs> well, I'm, well we'll wait and see won't we <laughs> I'll be using my own resources <laughs> yeah. it's that adjustment and being kind like we said at the beginning isn't it it's not about for some people this might be about illness and it might be about real kind of um, struggles with that but actually it's about recognizing there are going to be signs there are going to be symptoms there are going to be little things that affect us engage with those straight away really acknowledge them and kind of interact and support yourself and the people around you rather than leaving that until it kind of escalates yeah and do you know what do then there's also the the positive side of it is this will have made people reevaluate some of their choices and some of their priorities and i think that as well for me is is something that we're we're doing is is that support through growth it doesn't have to be all doom and gloom this is, could be you know people may want to make some real positive changes out of this and it's having that support as well knowing where to go to, to to be able to do that I think so I think yeah there's been so many good you've mentioned a couple of that opportunity to have the family time I could tell I've never attended so many conferences and training <laughs> um, so I'm looking forward to I guess that continuing in a way that's uh just utilizing that experience and that knowledge that within reason no technology has been developed in the last 18 months that didn't exist before it was all there we just weren't using it so now there's that buy-in that if someone puts something on online it it could really attract people so i think that's that's one of the things for me um but yeah thank you so much for for coming on for sharing your insights and um giving us kind of that information right into the storm as well if people wanted to find out a little bit more about yourself or the project, like where are the places that they can go to, to find out that information? Yeah, so um, we've got a website and it's weareafterthestorm.com. Quite, quite simple to find. We're on Instagram, we're on Facebook. Again, we are After the Storm UK. So um, yeah, just go and have a look and um, our email address is on there, my story's on there, but we've got other storm stories as well to help with that, that connection and everything. So um, yeah, go and have a look be great and the awesome. feedback is always welcome <laughs> oh very good amazing thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your experience well, thank you for having me these are real people they do have struggles and it starts to get on my nerves i just shut down so many people suffer from mental illness to get the word out that men have got to start talking so i told everything and her face dropped a lot of people don't understand the depth of the situation so they can appreciate yeah it's difficult dealing with our minds and the suicidal thoughts were back people knew that there was something not right but they just never really said anything or probably felt like it wasn't their place to say anything you're not depressed it's, it's all in your head that's probably the statement i've had people say the most i mean this 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 shit is real and it's hard it's exhausting and i think people realize how helpful that one conversation can be just to figure out why you are feeling the way you are.
not only did this help me to write it, mm. it potentially might have helped some other people as well. So it sort of started from there. So many people think they're alone. And then you hear other people talk about it and they think, oh, that's, you know, that's so brave or I could relate to that. Um, and then they want to talk about it. <laughs>